As we look here in Joshua, uh, for the next two weeks, we're kind of doing an introductory look at the book. And we're using these first nine verses as our introduction. How many of you ever heard this song? I was teasing uh, Isaac and Julie. I was going to have them come up and, and force them to sing it. But uh, as I saw the terror on their faces, I told them I was kidding. But how many of you have heard the words to this song? Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. 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 Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. You may talk about the men of Gideon. You may talk about the men of Saul. But there's none like good old Joshua at the battle of Jericho. How many of you have heard that old song? Just about everybody, right? The battle of Jericho is perhaps the most famous battle in the book of Joshua. And the book of Joshua itself is, is named after its key figure and its, its author, Joshua himself. Yet, is there more to the book of Joshua than this single battle? Is there more to the book of Joshua than even all of the battles that are recorded in this book? The book is also named after its key figure, Joshua, as I just mentioned. But again, we have to, to ask ourselves, is there more to this book than this single leader? Could this book be telling us of a greater battle that, as we just sang, has already been fought and won? And could this book be telling us of a greater leader to which Joshua simply points forward to? And could this book be telling us of a greater promised land than what this present world could ever offer? See, these are some of the key ideas that we're going to be looking at throughout this series. And we're going to see that the events of Joshua are not simply isolated stories in the Old Testament, but are a series of connected stories to God's one big story of redemption through Christ. So we're going to begin this journey this morning by taking a sort of an introductory exploration of this book of Joshua that the first nine verses of chapter 1 give us. And as we do so, we're going to discover what has led up to this point in the biblical storyline as we come to Joshua. And then we are going to look briefly at what, how the storyline continues to unfold and as we do so, I pray over the next two weeks that our eyes and our ears will begin to hear a call of faith. A call of faith that echoes to us just as it did to Joshua so long ago. And we're going to look and set up our introductory 
overview of the book of Joshua and the call of faith that he received from the following angle, and these are going to comprise our main points over the next two weeks. We're going to see that a key transition, verses 1 to 2a, was given to a key leader, verse 1b, who is given a key promise, verses 3 to 6, and a key direction in which to follow God, verses 7 to 8. And then he is supplied a key reminder, verse 9, of how he is to order his life and the nation's life. There's a key transition that's given to a key leader who is given a key promise and a key direction in which to follow God, and then he is supplied a key reminder of how to order his life and the people's lives. If that seems kind of confusing, we're going to break that down. But the main theme that we are going to see throughout this series, and we are going to see several different lessons as we come to each of these chapters, and, and we look at the, the individual stories that are presented to us in the book of Joshua, but tying those in to the story, what we're going to continually come back to in this series is this key truth. And may we mark it down, not just on notebooks, but in our hearts. A faith that conquers is a faith in Christ. If you are desirous to have a conquering faith in your life, it's not going to be in your own strength or your own understanding or your own abilities or your own feel for the situation. It is going to be a faith centered in Christ. So this morning we are going to look at this key transition and this key leader that the book of Joshua presents to us. And as we do so, let's begin with the word of prayer. Father, I pray this morning that you would grant understanding to our minds and receptivity to our hearts. Father, the heart cannot truly love what the mind does not know. Lord, so many times we hear Scripture, we hear truth, we think we're comprehending it, but Lord, it never gets to the heart. It's not lived out. So Lord, would we hear the echo of Joshua's call to faith? And would we follow not in Joshua's footsteps, Lord, but in the one to whom Joshua pointed, the one who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, would we have a conquering faith that is rooted in Christ? In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Joshua opens with a key transition. And this is a big deal. 
in the storyline of the Bible. This is one of those things that it's really easy to read, but if you put yourself in the situation, it's huge. Have you ever been in a situation that you've gone through something very difficult or maybe um, a run-in or, or just a real trial and you share it with somebody and they kind of are listening to you and they're trying to understand, but you're kind of saying, oh, they just they don't quite get it because they haven't been through it. It's easy for us to lose sight of the key transition that's going on here. Because we weren't there, and we can quickly read past it. But it says at the beginning of verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. What this is, the after the death of, this is a narrative transition. In other words, a transition in the story. A new episode in the story. You watch a TV series and and one episode ends and another episode begins. This is what we have here. It is a transition. Literally, Literally, it reads, and it came to pass. And it came to pass following the death of Moses. And that automatically ties us back to what has preceded it. So what does this key transition talking about? Moses is dead. Gone. In fact, they even went to search for his body and could not find it. Moses is dead. This is a big deal. The one who has led the children of Israel 40 years through the wilderness, who has interceded on behalf of the people when they completely messed up. And God was going to bring death upon the people. Moses is up on the mountain interceding for them. That guy, the one who meant so much to the people of Israel, was dead. You look back at a page or so in your Bible to Deuteronomy 34, the end it was, or after the death of, we read about Moses' death in Deuteronomy 34. Look at what verses 10 to 12 tell us. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. None like Him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent Him to do in the land of Egypt. To Pharaoh and to all His servants and to all His land and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. That is quite a description, is it not? I mean, you have not only Moses the person, but you have the power of God that was demonstrated through this person. 
Moses definitely left a legacy. And now Joshua is confronted, and also the people of Israel are confronted with how are they going to respond to this transition? Are they going to follow, as we're going to look at next week, cling to God and to His Word and to to Joshua? Or are they going to cower in fear? To go their own way? Folks, so many times in our lives, as individuals and as a church, the question is, how do we respond to transitions? It's easy to cling to things of the past when God desires to do new things. It's easy to say in our own lives, you know what, if only it was as easy as it was three years ago. But now God's calling me to these other things and God's allowed these these difficulties in my life. How are you going to respond to transitions? We can either be bitter, we can gossip, we can backbite, we can can, uh, complain to our family about, man, life is just so hard for me. If only you guys knew what I'm going through. Don't get get upset when I yell at you at home. (laughs) How are we going to handle transitions? You see, even in the midst of this transition where Moses is gone, and some people could even question, is God still at work? It's, it, God works so powerfully through Moses that we can worship the leader rather than the God. Is God still going to work with Moses gone? God has provided hope before Moses ever died. In Deuteronomy 18, God says this, Or Moses says this, that this is what God will do. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. What is the essence of this promise? That Moses is not the end of the story. God is going to continue His work and this this prophecy, this statement is ultimately fulfilled in none other but the prophet Jesus. All other prophets that God raised up were pointing to the great true prophet But yet, God is proving Himself faithful in this transition that Moses is not the end of the story. There is so much more that the Lord wants to do. If you look back at Joshua chapter 1, we also see here that Moses is called the servant of the Lord. As we know, he wasn't the servant of men. 
In fact, the children of Israel many times wanted to kill Moses. They wanted to reject Moses. But Moses was God's servant. And it's interesting that up to this point in the biblical story, no one else else has been called the servant of the Lord. This only highlights Moses' position um, and, and the greatness of his death. That man, this guy was the only one that has been labeled up to this point in the story the servant of the Lord, and now he's gone. The next person, coincidentally, or maybe not so much, that is termed the servant of the Lord is indeed Joshua, but not until his death in chapter 24 and verse 29. Well, these words, it says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and then verse 2, what what does the Lord begin saying? Moses, my servant, is dead But he's going to say something here to Joshua more than just the scary reality that Moses is dead. Because in Deuteronomy 34 and verse 8, if you again flip over a page, it talks about mourning for Moses' death. And it said, And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. This is a time where God now speaks to Joshua and he says, Joshua, the time of mourning is done. Now you're called to walk by faith. Now you're called to lead the people to likewise walk by faith. There was not a clinging to the past except when it came to clinging to God's promises. You see, we better cling to the past when, we, uh, when it comes to God and His character and His promises, but let us not be caught in our own lives or as a church clinging to the past when it comes to things like what we prefer or what our opinions are or even that desire for comfort that we all share in our lives. There was indeed in these simple words of the opening of Joshua a narrative transition, a turning in the story. But there was also secondly, and I'm going to explain this term for you if you don't know it. This is a a time to learn a new term possibly. A canonical transition. You say, what in the world? Are we shooting in a cannon? No, there is a cannon. You know what the cannon is when we, when, in the context of the Bible? It's the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation. That's the canon of Scripture. Uh, Roger taught on that last year in one of our core classes. And what we're seeing, what, what canonical means is just the entire Bible. There's a transition here 
in the Scriptures themselves. As many of you know, Genesis to Deuteronomy, it's called the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible. The the Hebrew term is the Torah, the law, Genesis to Deuteronomy. Joshua begins the books of history. And for many of you, especially in Awana, you know this. Uh, Joshua begins kind of a new narrative segment, a new part of the story, as we've already expressed. And as we enter into Joshua, I don't want to take for granted that we are all so familiar with the biblical storyline that as we come to Joshua 1 and verse 1, we are just right on page. So I want to give you, pretend like you're a bird flying over the Bible. And we're going to get a bird's bird's eye view of how the story starts and where we're at. And we're just going to do about one minute book by book or one sentence book by book really. How does this story unfold? The book of Genesis. How can we describe the book of Genesis? The book of Genesis is the beginning of all things. Climaxing in the beginning of God's covenant people. That's what the book of Genesis is all about. If somebody asks you, hey, could you give me a sentence overview of the book of Genesis? This is a pretty good one. And not just because I came up with it, but uh, I think it, it, it puts it in a nutshell. The beginning of all things, climaxing in the beginning of God's covenant people. If you want to get even more specific than that, chapters 1 through 11 deal with all humanity, focus on all humanity. And then chapters 12 through 50 focuses from the calling of Abraham all the way to Joseph on God's working within his covenant people. So all humanity, covenant people, and why is God working through His covenant people? In order to bless all humanity. How about Exodus? What's the book of Exodus about? Well, in the book of Exodus, we see that God redeems His people from slavery and gives them His law so that they will know how to live with Him and one another in covenant relationship. That's what the book of Exodus is about. God redeems His people from slavery and gives them His law so that they will know how to live with Him and one another in covenant relationship. How about the book of Leviticus? The book of Leviticus, that kind of can get confusing, right? You start to read through Leviticus and you get to about chapter 10 or 11, you're kind of like, what's going on here? It's really important as you're reading to keep in mind the big picture. God makes a way possible for His covenant people to dwell with Him and worship Him. That's the purpose of all of those sacrificial laws. How can a holy God live with sinful people? It's no longer as easy as it was in the garden before sin came. What about the book of Numbers? In the book of Numbers, we see that God gives His people various laws and instructions, and His people wander in the wilderness. 
As we'll see later, Numbers is where they refuse to go into the land of Canaan and they have to wander. And then the book of Deuteronomy, right before we get to Joshua, the book of Deuteronomy is a book of covenant renewal. Now there is a new generation that is going to go into the promised land, book, uh, the book of Joshua. And before they cross over into the promised land, Moses, as one of his final acts, he reviews their history and he re-gives them the law. And they renew God's covenant to follow him. And then we come to the book of Joshua, as we see here. And in this book, we're going to discover that God gives His covenant people military victory and the inheritance of the land of Canaan, just as He promised. That's where we're at. So we see here the key transition, both in the story and in the unfolding of each individual book of the Bible up until the book of Joshua. Now I want to show us also and focus our attention on this key leader, Joshua himself. So God's words after the death of Moses are going specifically to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. So as, uh, I want to first of all look today at Joshua as a person. Joshua as a person. He was a real life person with real life feelings. It's easy to forget that when we're reading. It's easy to sometimes forget that as we're living, isn't it? Real life people. Well, the text here in verse 1 already describes Joshua just as the text already described Moses. How does it describe Moses? The servant of the Lord, right? Now, how does it describe Joshua? Moses' assistant. Now, Joshua had no parents because he's called the son of none. So... <laughs> Okay, I just wanted to see if you're awake. <laughs> just kidding, if you're uh, unsure of that joke. <laughs> and he wasn't born into a Catholic family either. Okay. <laughs> um, Moses' assistant, he's described as. The very first time we, we read this is in Exodus 24, and even getting a description of Joshua's actions when he was serving as Moses was alive, it, it, it shows us Moses' character, Moses' heart. In Exodus 24, verses 13 to 14, it says, So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. This is when God, in Exodus 24, uh, is giving Moses, his law, instructions. And, and the elders wait, and Joshua goes up with Moses, and then Joshua kind of stops at a certain point in the mountain, and Moses continues by himself and hears directly from God. 
So we again, we see that, that Joshua is connected with the very presence of God already in the, the second book of the Bible. Later in Exodus 33, talking of Joshua, it says, The, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Again, Joshua is connected with the presence of God. He, he guarded the tent where God met with Joshua. Joshua is also described as a mighty warrior. And we know this. Uh, obviously through the book of Joshua, but even before that. Did you know that Joshua was already fighting battles before the book of Joshua ever came into being? For instance, in Exodus 17, talking about uh, Amalek comes to make war on Israel as they're in the desert, in the wilderness. It says, Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And many of you are familiar with this, with this uh, story where as long as Moses' arms were up, the people were winning, but if his arms lowered, they would begin to lose. So, um, so his assistants um, came and, and held his arms up as Joshua and the men fought. And sure enough, later in the text, it says Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. You see, God was already preparing for life after Moses. He was already doing a work. Joshua was also one of the twelve spies in Numbers 13 to 14. Many of you know the song, 12 men went to spy in Canaan, 10 were bad and 2 were good. You know that song? How many of you are familiar with that one? Not as many as the other one. Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that looked at the land, and though the land looked in intimidating, they said, with God's help, we can take it. The rest said, no, they're too great. And they caused all of the people to, bit, to, to bicker and complain. And Joshua and Caleb plead with the people, please don't do this, trust in God. But they did not listen. Caleb, Joshua chapter 14 and verse 7 uh, it says that at the time of the going out as spies, Caleb was 40 years old. So we don't know how old Joshua was during this same time, but even if we take an estimate that let's say, let's say for the sake of argument, Joshua and Caleb are the same age, place them at about 40 years old at the time of this spying out of the land, the people rebel, so God says, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. This generation, 20, that over 20 years of, of age, besides for Joshua and Caleb, are going to die in the wilderness. 
God already gave them credit for one year that they were in the wilderness. So they, they, they wandered for 39 more years. So if we say Joshua could have been the same age of Caleb at 40, then at the time of Joshua's call of faith, call to faith, he could have potentially been around 79 years of age. We know that when he died, he was 110 how many of you would like to lead an army at 79? How many of you are 79 or above? Maybe that's a bad question to ask. McCullas are proudly raising their hands. Doesn't this show us that God is not done with us? Just because we're a certain age? He was faithful to God already. And now at the time where Joshua is called to step up, he is already prepared. We also see as we look at Joshua as a person that he was appointed by God to lead. It's not necessarily that Joshua had an awesome personality that everybody just liked Joshua. Or that Joshua had this ability or this gift. But is that God appointed him to lead and he was doing a work from the past into the present. In fact, Moses' opening words in Deuteronomy 1 and verse 38 to the people as he recites their history to them says, Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter, speaking of the land, encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Most importantly, we see at the end of Deuteronomy, in chapter 34, verse 9, that he was full of the Holy Spirit. It says, Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, so the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses or Joshua was equipped for the task. But it would be easy to stop there, wouldn't it? It would be easy to stop and to say, so look at Joseph. So let us be faithful in all that God has, has tasked us to. Let us be mighty in the challenges that God puts our way, just like, jo uh, like Joshua was a mighty warrior. Let us be faithful like Joshua was faithful as one of the spies, even when others went against what God wanted. Let us be individuals that are full of the spirit of wisdom as Joshua was as well. And all of those things are true, but all of those things are not true enough. Because before we can ever imitate Joshua as a person, we must realize that Joshua ultimately serves as a pointer. Not simply a person, but a pointer. Did you know that his very name, Joshua, 
gives us evidence to the reality that Joshua is pointing to someone greater than himself. His name means Yahweh saves. His name in the Hebrew is Yeshua. Does that start to sound familiar? In the Greek, it is Jesus, which in the English is Jesus. You see, Joshua points to a greater leader, Jesus. We also see Joshua as a pointer when we look at the role that he was given by God. As I said earlier, he was a mighty warrior. Joshua served as a mighty warrior who, were, who was to lead the people to battle. In fact, in verse 2, God says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. So the time for weeping is done. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. There's three challenges here. The first is they're to cross over the Jordan River. There's a divide from where they are to the land of Canaan. And it was even, the text will tell us later in the book, it's during flood season. It would be even more impossible to cross. You have the problem of the river. You have the problem of the people. It's going to be hard. It could potentially be hard to go over this Jordan, you and all this people. Joshua was maybe a little bit frightful of that because he knew some of the things Moses dealt with. And then there was the challenge of the land. The land is inhabited by mighty warriors and nations. This is a threefold challenge. But Joshua's role is to be a mighty warrior who leads the people to battle. Well, you know, just as we sang today, as we look at Joshua as a pointer, we see a mighty warrior in Jesus who wins the battle for his people. Amen? Jesus simply doesn't lead us. He has already provided victory. This is who our Savior is. You see, just as Joshua led the people and crossed the Jordan River in Joshua 3, we read of the one Joshua pointed to, Jesus, who beginning His earthly ministry began his ministry by being baptized in the Jordan River and going to conquest, to, to, to go on conquest for a true spiritual inheritance. We read of this victory that the greater Joshua has, has accomplished in Colossians 2 and verse 15. There it says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him, in God. This, folks, is ultimate victory. There are remaining battles that are left to be fought. 
Just like we're going to see in the book of Joshua that the land had been conquered, but there were still pockets of rebellion that each individual tribe was to drive out individuals. But the land had been conquered. And now the tribes were to go by faith. So we still fight battles. We still have struggles. We're still called to walk by faith. But the battle has been won. We also see that Joshua was a leader who was called to distribute the land inheritance. God says in Joshua 1, chapter 2, that God is going to give the land to the people of Israel, just as He said. But in Jesus we see not simply a leader who distributes the land inheritance, but the leader in whom we share an eternal inheritance. It is because of Jesus that we have an inheritance that is incorruptible, that will never be taken away. We actually share in the glory of Christ being brought into the family of God. This is something Joshua could never do. And then lastly, when we look at Joshua, we see a leader who was faithful. He fulfilled his mission. And then as we read in Joshua 24, he died. But when we come to Jesus, we see a leader who fulfills his mission and conquered death. He is alive and reigning today. And folks, Joshua could not keep the future generations from rebellion after his death. After Joshua, we get to Judges where we read, everyone does that which was right in his own eyes and is rebelling. But you know what it says of Jesus? Those who Jesus has saved are now a part of His church. And what is He doing? He is working in His people to present them spotless. As a bride beautifully adorned for the groom, Jesus Himself. Folks, that's the person that we follow. Christian, a faith that conquers is a faith in none other than Christ. Where have your eyes been pointed today, this week, this year, your whole life? If your eyes are not focused in Christ, if they're focused on yourself or some other person or whatever the case may be, your faith will not conquer. Thank you.